The American Petroleum Institute, driving safety, environmental protection, and sustainability across the natural gas and oil industry through world-class standards and safety programs. Since its formation as a standard-setting organization in 1919, API has developed more than 800 standards to enhance industry operations worldwide. Find out more at api.org. Welcome to ESG Energize, where we discuss the latest developments in the environmental, social, and governance arena that are impacting the energy industry today. Here is your host, Delfina Govia. This is Delfina Govia, your busy business boss, executive, strategist, and transformational leader whose mission on this show is to educate, engage, and energize the global community on topics of sustainability and ESG. Once again, the Energy Pipeline audience, we are coming at you from the Gas Machinery Conference in Phoenix, Arizona. I am Delfina Govia, your host for today, filling in for the wonderful, fabulous Jordan Yates, who could not be with us, and her co-host, Lizzie Hurt from Caterpillar. Lizzie, thank you for joining me here today and, and getting this job done. Thanks, Delfina. Happy to be here. We are privileged to have Dr. Professor Daniel B. Olson, who's a professor of mechanical engineering at the Colorado State University. Professor, welcome. Thank you. So, Dr. Olson, can we get started? Can we yes, jump right and, in? Yes, and you may call me uh, Dan. Ah, uh, thank you. Let's start off with a little bit about you. Dan, can you give us a little bit of background on your career and then also the res a little bit of information on the research done at Colorado State University or the oil and gas industry? Sure. Yeah, my uh, career... Uh, started back in the 80s, so I graduated with a, a degree in physics in 1987, and shortly after that started uh, going more into the uh, engineering path, mechanical engineering, and worked after I got a master's at Oregon State, and then spent about six years uh, in industry, mostly in aerospace and then went back to school for a PhD in 1995. And I found my way to Colorado State University and uh, Brian Wilson had started the uh, large bore engines lab there. The first engine that they installed is a Cooper Bessemer GMV uh, integral compressor engine and it has a 14 inch bore or 14 inch stroke or 36 centimeter, 36 centimeter stroke. And those engines are used in gas compression and very unique engines. They're integral compressor engines. So the, the um, compressor is integrated with the engine. So that's, so I found my way to that lab and that's where I worked on a PhD for the next four years and then graduated in 1999 and um, been there ever since. I got a, a, yeah, I've got a regular faculty position in 2006. So, um, yeah, and I've been working with students and doing research there um, since then. And what kind of research do you guys do? Talk about 
give us an example? Sure. Yeah. You know, it goes through phases. Uh, right now, there's a lot of emphasis on uh, methane emissions. So come back, I guess we'll probably come back to that. But when I started in 95, there was a lot of uh, technology development for these um, large integral compressors, uh, specifically ignition systems like pre-combustion chambers and uh, fuel injection systems, high-pressure fuel injection to improve emissions and efficiency so they can keep in compliance. So those, those engines, a lot of them are, you know, over 50 years old. So they're, they're wow. yeah, and they run at 300 RPM. So they're, you know, just a little faster than a sewing machine, you know? <laughs> um, it's kind it's kind of therapeutic. If it didn't shake the whole building, it would be more therapeutic. So, but those, so, so that's how the work at the lab began. And I think I mentioned Brian Wilson is the one who started the lab. And then over the years, we've added more and more engines. And a, and a big part of that has been our collaboration with Caterpillar. So you said methane emissions. Um, I read about a program called Remedy. Is that your baby? Yes, yes. Ah, so let's talk <laughs> Remedy. What okay. is Remedy? So Remedy is, uh, the acronym is uh, reducing emissions of methane every day of the year. Okay. And the government seems to like their acronyms, so there seems to be an acronym for every uh, program like that. And that program actually addresses uh, methane slip from engines, so exhaust methane and also crankcase gas emissions. It also addresses mining uh, ventilation, so methane emission from coal mines, and also um, flares. So there's three elements of the Remedy program. And so. you said that the government likes their acronyms. Am I then correct to assume that this is a program that is either funded or sponsored with the Department of Energy? That's correct. Yeah, the Department of Energy is funding this, and specifically ARPA-E, so that's uh, Advanced Research Projects Agency, okay. Energy. The, the dash E stands for energy. And ARPA-E focuses more on, um, I, I guess, uh, high-risk, high-risk, uh, high-reward, high-potential-reward projects. And, um, and they're very much focused on uh, commercialization and implementation in the marketplace. Ah, okay. So, so how, do, how do you take that research that's done in a lab at a research institution and take that to industry? I don't understand how that happens. Sure. Yeah, well, the, the first key there is to collaborate with a commercial partner like Caterpillar. So most of our projects now, we are collaborating with a commercial partner. And so in this case, we're collaborating with Caterpillar. And um, this, the way it gets to the marketplace, um, you know, number one, Caterpillar has a, a gated 
process for taking uh, a product from low TRL, so that's technology readiness level, to commercialization. And, you know, they... So that process is, is clear and um, these gates that, that the product needs to get to, it has to go through all of them before it becomes a commercial product. So the RPE has some similar language, kind of a parallel path so they, that they implement as well for commercialization. But um, for the, in this case, that we're doing the research in the lab so that's ongoing right now. Um, we just recently had a really successful test on this project. Um, we got the um, the crankcase. Th this is um, the product that we're developing is a closed crankcase closed crankcase gas recirculation system, and so you take the crankcase gas, which for these engines is normally vented to the atmosphere, and it actually contains a significant amount of methane, and as part of this remedy proposal, we were actually the only ones that had that in our proposal, so we automatically got funded for that because you're They're, because you're not flaring you've got it you've closed the loop well they don't flare that they they um typically in the oil and gas industry it's just vented to ambient to, right to the atmosphere because the engines they need to be they need to run 24 so 7 right. they need high reliability is critical and so um so that gas though can if it's filtered and processed properly can be recirculated into the intake. And uh, so that's our, you know, that, that's the technology we're focusing on. And, and kind of circling back to your question, it, for the, you know, to get the product into the marketplace, we need to do a field demonstration. And so next year, we're going to demonstrate the product in the field. We're going to do a one-year um, longevity test or durability test. That's exciting. I know. That'll be interesting. <laughs> there, there's your follow-up episode. <laughs> I know. You can check definitely in a year. <laughs> That's a fantastic example, the closed crankcase gas recirculation system. Are there any other examples development of technology for reducing methane emissions that you share? Well, we're doing... Well, Right now, we're working on a, another proposal with, mm -hmm. with Caterpillar and um, an unsolicited uh, proposal to uh, another DOE office. It's, um, and, and, and that, you know, though there's a, a few different pieces of that, um, methane emissions. So one of them is in-cylinder methane emissions. So the crankcase gas... That's the gas that gets past the rings. So you have the gases above the piston and then the, the gases that slip past the ring, mm -hmm. yep. those go into the crankcase and then those need to be dealt with. The, the gases that stay in the combustion chamber, which is most of them, those combust and then you have methane that goes out the exhaust due to combustion inefficiency. And there's a couple different ways uh, that we're going after those. One is a new piston 
designs uh, with um, a lower crevice volumes, lower uh, reduced regions where methane can be trapped and escape combustion. Okay. And then um, also uh, potentially reformed natural gas. So we take a small portion of the natural gas going to the engine. We reform that and get hydrogen and carbon monoxide, which are more reactive than methane, blend that with the fuel, and then that goes into the combustion chamber to help improve the methane reduction efficiency. And then as a final kind of last uh, possible uh, means for reducing methane would be after treatment. We'd we'd prefer not to do that because that, that means that we're not utilizing methane that methane in the engine to to generate work so so we're looking at after treatment technologies as well so those, those are some examples for that class of engine which is a four-stroke lean burn engine yeah and we're doing other work with um the large two-stroke engines uh as well so there's a several techniques that we're working on there as well Great. No, those are some fantastic examples. So what I'm hearing, and tell me if I'm wrong, you keep saying we, and I'm assuming that that we is involving these students. You are correct. And that, talk talk to us about that. You know, who are the students that are involved in this? What exactly are they doing? Uh, talk about that. That's, I'm, I, I know that other students want to, hear about these types of opportunities that they have because the hands-on learning is just tremendous sure that's right yeah we always i always say we it's it's a team effort and so we have uh so in my group i have uh, several uh, full-time staff um uh, engineers and uh one postdoc two engineers and then uh let's see 15 students so about half of those are graduate students and about half of them are undergraduates. And you mentioned the hands-on learning, the hands-on opportunities that they get. It's, you know, unsurpassed. It's, um, you know, the, the opportunity that we have to do these projects with Caterpillar and other manufacturers um, involves a lot of hardware, a lot of testing. You know, everything from uh, designing brackets and assembling uh, brackets on the engine, you know, to do something simple like like um, hold wire that you're running to a sensor uh, from actually helping to run the engine and then analyze the data. So it's, it's a wide range of activities, activities that the students get experience with. Are so. these young folks generally mechanical engineers or do you have you just said you mentioned the data do you have any data any any students pursuing data uh, degrees we tend we tend to go for mechanical engineering students because you know that's that's where i teach uh, thermal science courses in the mechanical engineering department so I, i i interact with the mechanical engineering students the most we're not opposed to looking at other majors uh, by any stretch. We, I have uh, one student who's a civil engineer, so he he worked for us last year. Uh, his name's Ben, and uh, he did a great job. So he's 
he's actually on the Caterpillar project this year. So, yeah. So give us an example of what a student might be doing where they can interact with the industry folks like at Caterpillar. I mean, do, do they get an opportunity? Are they just like at the school or is there there's some sort of environments where there's interaction with Caterpillar as well or other partners that you might have involved? Yeah. Yeah, they, they definitely get interaction with the commercial partners. So we, we have regular update calls with the um, commercial partners and also with say the Department of Energy and the students generally join those calls. Um, the undergraduate students have a ridiculous number of classes, so it's <laughs> a lot, hard. A yeah. lot of times they you know they might just work a few hours a week and, and can't join the meetings, but but yeah, so they get that interaction on these update calls and then when um, you know uh, Dave Montgomery, he's our main point of contact at uh, Caterpillar, and so he frequently comes to visit the lab. Um, so they get interaction with uh, with Dave and other Caterpillar staff. So, and, and you know that the students also have other opportunities with um, Caterpillar. In particular, Cat- Caterpillar has maybe five engagement areas uh there's you know there's the the funded research whether that's uh, directly through the department directly from caterpillar or uh co-funded with the department of energy uh caterpillar also does uh, co-ops and um internships uh they come to the career fair they do um uh, Dave Montgomery teaches a graduate class, and trying to think of I've included everything. Oh, senior design, senior uh. design, and then so they fund senior design projects, and then uh, CSU is does the the powerhouse we call it. It used to be an old power plant where the research is done. Uh-huh. Um, that is designated internally at CAT as a CAT lab. That's a, a okay. category. Yeah. So lots of opportunities for the students to engage uh, with Caterpillar in particular. And then in general, in research con- contracts, they, they also have, you know, lots of opportunities um, to engage. Sounds like an awesome way for students to get a lot of depth in this type of field. Um, I'm hearing you're saying that they're, the students are working a couple hours throughout the week. I mean, it sounds like this is year-long through the summer maybe what's what's it like for the students yeah they work uh, hopefully they work 10 hours a week that's kind of ideal in uh, for an undergrad and then for the uh for the graduate students it's 20 hours plus and uh but then during the summer they generally work full time hmm. so we kind of try to schedule uh our projects so that um maybe there's more hands-on construction work to be done during the summer because we know we're going to have the students for more hours during the summer. I'm definitely getting jealous listening to this. <laughs> Aren't you? Yeah, it's, it's you know, when you do an internship, it's such a brief amount of time. I know. And right when you get to the yeah. end of it, you're like, oh, now that I know what I'm doing, I'm, you're done. So it's kind of nice that 
continue that throughout the school year, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, yeah. here's a, here's another one that it's I I just need to know when you actually go. So Lizzie asked a great question earlier. How do you get something that you're working on actually commercialized? How do you get it to market? You talked about how you're uh, pretty soon. I think you said next summer or next year you're going to be uh, doing some some pilot projects. Right, you said you're going to try to do some testing, field demonstrations. Field demonstrations—that's yeah. the word you use. Yes. So, do the students get to be involved in the field demonstrations? They do. Yes, they do. Yeah, cool. that, that will start in the. Uh, hopefully, it'll start around February. This particular project we have with Caterpillar, and the we have a, a midstream partner that has agreed to host the test. Okay. And so the students will be involved in, uh, you know, they're going to have to go and get the safety training so they can go on site. Nice. And, uh, you know, wear the, wear the hard hats and uh, steel toe boots and all that stuff. And then they'll be involved in the design of the hardware that we'll set up to, to monitor uh, the engine and the hardware that we, that we put on the engine. And um, and then also there'll be f- trips to the site where we do sort of an extended test, like an all-day emissions test, and they'll be involved with that as well. <clears throat> what are some of the challenges that students face when they're involved with these types of projects? Yeah, I would say the the first challenge that they have is they've they've done their coursework so they know how to uh, you know apply formula uh, to, to solve problems to get an answer you know um, for, for homework or an exam but then now they're faced with a real-world problem that maybe wasn't covered in their uh, in their courses you know like just something simple like how do I run uh, how do I run water from from this source to something on the engine that I want to cool and uh, you know the 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 options for what tubing you use what connectors you you use what fittings uh, all of that is um, a learning experience that's, that's typically not taught in class so they, they get that kind of hands-on design and also fabrication experience. So so that that's usually a challenge and it doesn't matter what level they are, they could be a graduate student, but there's a lot of learning that takes place when you actually have a, a hands-on project. That's fantastic that they're getting that during school because I think even as graduates of engineering get into the real world and there's a lot of things that you just haven't learned yet, you gotta learn on the fly. Yeah. Fantastic yes. opportunity. So one of the things that is also striking me is that there, you, you just finished addressing the opportunities and the challenges for these, these young people in the technical side of it. But I'm also picking up that if they're sitting in on calls with Caterpillar, if they're going out and working with the midstream host eventually, <coughs> that there's more of a real-world we're solving a business problem aspect to this. Am I catching that correctly? Yes. Yeah, business problem and, you know, you know a, a real-world type problem that needs to be solved. So, 
though, you know, there's, there's certain limitations and certain boundaries that you have to stay within. So, you know, just, um, I mentioned the safety aspect. I mentioned the safety aspect. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, remember, we're at the GMC conference and they just started up some session, big session on the stage. So, uh, we're gonna we're gonna ask Dan to to talk just a little bit louder. <laughs> Sorry, Dan. Please yeah, continue. No problem. Okay. So, yeah, there's the safety aspect uh, to it, and then there's um, you know the aspect that you're in a field site, and uh, you you know there's certain ways that the companies, the midstream companies in this case, that that they need to do things. Um, you know. There's, it's a, um, uh, an environment where, um, you know, fire safety is critical. So there's a, a, a designation called Class 1 Div 2 electronics. Yep. <laughs> so that needs to be adhered to. So, so th- seems like, uh, things like that. And then you mentioned reporting to sponsors. So they, the students need to learn to communicate, uh, um, you know, uh, in a meeting like that and yeah. uh, give you know, a synopsis of what they've been doing in a, in a, in a short period of time. And so that's, that's a good experience as, as well. And putting together slides, that's, you know, that's usually a part of it. Do they get to interact with the DOE at all? Yes, they do. When, when the Department of Energy has an on-site meeting, they'll, I mean, they'll come and visit us. And then normally when that happens, I'll have uh, everybody um, give a presentation, talk to their own slides. So, yeah, absolutely. Pretty unique. Yeah. Pretty neat. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. Yeah, and yeah, and the Department of Energy folks, they, they like coming to our lab. The, the last visit we had, the guy, uh, our contract monitor, I could not get him to leave the lab. He was watching the... <laughs> we were doing a demonstration with a running engine, and... Um, yeah, he just didn't want to leave. <laughs> Can you paint the picture of that lab for us? Like, how many engines? How many test cells? For how big is it? Yeah. Sure. yeah, it's a hundred. The, the entire building is a uh, hundred thousand square feet. Holy and, moly! Yeah, it, it, well, that includes different. That includes a new section and an old section. So the old section was the old Fort Collins power plant. That's about thirty thousand square feet. It's a, it's a uh, old brick building it was uh created it it was built in the 30s and then decommissioned in the 60s it was a coal-fired steam power plant so now we have engines in there we have about uh 10 instrumented uh engines mostly industrial so they're non-automotive i'll say uh larger uh, mostly natural gas engines but also some diesel so it's so it's a large, uh, kind of open facility, more like a compressor station. If you, if you walk in a lot of um, la- university labs or even a place like Southwest Research, you the engines are in uh, in the tech center at Caterpillar. It, uh, the engines are in uh, enclosed areas. So our area, our uh, lab is more like a compressor station where it's kind of an open, um, open. Um, it, it's organized more in an open fashion. And we have four concrete structures where the steam turbines used to go. So that's where we have our heaviest um, engines. 
And um, for example, we, the Caterpillar um, 3516J engine is on one of those platforms because it's a large engine, one megawatt. And the the news we have a new solar gas turbine, 3.4 megawatts, and that one bridges uh, two of those platforms. It sits on two of them. Cool. So, very cool. Okay, let me ask you a question. Um, we're going to have to wrap this up because uh, they're probably going to start blaring in the background again on us. Mm. I'm no, I've noticed, uh, especially given that I have a child that's about to graduate from an engineering program, not CSU, uh, that the younger generation, these younger, this younger generation of engineers, and just younger generations in, in general, are excited about their field of study. They're excited about learning their technical engineering skills. But they're also approaching life and the world with a different mindset than maybe we did. I listened very carefully to when you were graduating, so I can say when we did, <laughs> when we were, we were students. Um, and it's more from a, they're concerned about the planet. They're concerned about climate change. They're concerned about topics like methane emissions. They're, they want to participate in a, in sustainability focused projects. They want to learn. Are you experiencing that? Are you seeing that with your students in, that you're, that you're working with on these projects that directly address those things yes I think a lot of the students are are interested in sustainability the a lot of the students we get at the the lab are you know they're they're very practically uh, you know they're very practical in their view of the world I would say and you know right now we have uh, abundant natural gas uh, in this country and there's an opportunity to utilize that and reduce emissions at the same time and so especially with the, the push with uh, reducing methane emissions so you know what I find is that students uh, definitely have a sustainability focus but they also want to work on things that have an impact now okay so if you take the the closed crankcase recirculation project that is going to have an impact probably next year wow or, or yeah. the year after so yeah. it's very near term and you know I, I think a lot of our projects are like that mm -hmm. where where you're seeing um results in the near term and that that, that gets them excited so I think that's a very fair way to sum that up. Students are interested in sustainability, but very practical about how they... How they I think that's yeah. fantastic, and that's exactly the way that we need to guide them, right? Because there's a lot of rhetoric that exists in the market today, and here we have students and professors and universities and the Department of Energy uh, dedicated to practical... He used the word practical, to practical solutions. How do we actually improve things in a sustainable way. <laughs>
Dr. Dan, thank you so very much for joining us on this episode of the Energy Pipeline. It was a sincere pleasure. And hopefully we can we can drag you back on the show in the future as your students make more progress. Absolutely. And thanks for having me. Join us again next week on the ESG Energized Podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. To learn more, go to OGGN.com.